Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Blame It on the Aliens. I'm your host, and I am back from the grave. I was out last week, and I apologize, but I am bringing you some unapologetic stories that will not disappoint from creepy encounters, let's not meet, no sleep, and backwoods creepy. So quite the variety and definitely spooky. So with that being said, and without further ado, let's get into it. don't really know where else to go with this story. I feel like when I try to tell it to people, they're silently judging me for what I'm saying. This has been going on for close to a month now, and I'm honestly getting scared, even to the point where I want to move. About a month ago, I managed to find a new rental house to live in. I had previously lived with a roommate, but when she got married, I moved out. The market is horrible, but I was able to find a two-bedroom rental house for pretty cheap. It's pretty big with a very spacious backyard, and I was lucky enough to find it. After a few days, I got the impression that something wasn't right. I just got the impression that I wasn't alone. You know, like the feeling you get when you have eyes on you and stuff? Like no matter which room I was in, I always felt like there was something staring at me. As with other moves I've had, I had all the locks changed. I don't chance a previous resident getting in. Also, I have a ring doorbell camera because the house is about a mile off the main road, so if somebody comes over unannounced, I want their faces documented. It was about a week in when the activity in the house really started. I would come home to find cabinets and drawers open. As far as the cabinets go, there didn't seem to be any food or anything taken like that, just open cabinets. Also, nothing really seemed to have actually been gone through. I did stay with my boyfriend for a couple of days, though, after this happened because I was too scared to stay alone. Next thing I noticed was a severe temperature change. The house would be extremely cold despite not touching the thermostat. I would have to grab sweatpants and a jacket. Then it would become so hot that I would basically have to get down to my bra and underwear to stay cool. It was extremely uncomfortable and I had this looked at, but nothing was found wrong with my air or heating system. What got me the most was one night I was watching TV and suddenly I could hear a loud noise coming from behind me in the kitchen. I was extremely startled. When I saw what had happened, I noticed that it was a container full of my cooking utensils that had been knocked onto the floor. I was frozen with fear. I called my boyfriend to come stay with me for the night. Until he got here, I just sat on the couch and cried. I didn't know what else to do. My boyfriend and one of his friends did a sweep of the house and found nothing. Nobody could have entered. I have an attic, which we all checked. There was simply no way of entering the house. 
even my windows are painted shut. Since that one night, I've been finding myself waking up between 2 and 4 a.m. every night. No particular reason. But when I'm awake, I'm fully awake. Almost as if I hadn't even gone to sleep at all. Also, when I've been sleeping, I wake up to hear extremely loud noises. This usually comes as a door slamming or something being thrown. I did once walk into the living room to find a picture frame knocked over and a lamp on its side. When this kind of stuff happens, I usually just sit there and try to regain my composure. If this is indeed something sinister, I don't want it to see me afraid. The main reason I'm typing this out is because yesterday, I found a little purple bag tucked away in my closet. I almost had a panic attack when I found it because I once again had no clue as to what it was. I've just been a nervous wreck lately. The bag looked like it had been hand-sewn. Inside were just some little rock fragments, some ashes, and what looked like maybe seashells. I didn't even want to think about what it could have been, so I dumped it into the trash and tore the seams of the bag. I didn't really know what else to do with it. I don't know if that's some weird voodoo bag, like it's been causing the issues, but I wasn't chancing it. If that didn't work, then I'm just going to say screw my security deposit and get the hell out of this house. Anyway, feedback is welcome, so is any form of rational thought, and please be kind. Jazz and I had only been together since the beginning of the summer. Still, based on his reputation of being kind of a player, I was surprised we lasted that long. He hadn't really dated many girls from our school, but he was always rumored to be with someone. In fact, he'd take girls from other schools to house parties, but he would never show up with the same one twice. I had always thought he was very, very good looking, but I never even thought to approach him. He was popular and I was not. I had friends, sure, but I wasn't even close to being on the same social level as him. We had chemistry class together and we were assigned as lab partners. And that's how we met. A cliche, I know, but it was still pretty cute to me. I never had high expectations for love. I mean, my tastes were simple. I was pretty nervous at first, but he was easygoing and made me laugh a lot. So I relaxed around him in no time. We'd sometimes meet at my place to work on a project, but that soon progressed to dates out somewhere. And he'd take me any place I wanted, the movies, the fair, bowling, and so on. He was a very sweet, charming guy, too. I mean, it was easy to fall for him, despite the murmurs I'd overhear around us. That's not going to last. Who even is she? How much do you want to bet he'll dump her before homecoming? I didn't care much for gossip. He never made me feel insecure in our relationship. As far as I knew, his eyes never strayed, and he never snuck off to meet with other girls. I'm pretty sure all the people talking were just jealous of what we had. I had to admit, I was nervous about having sex with him. The first three months together, we only ever got to second base. But things would sometimes get a little bit more heated. Still, we never actually got there. But he never pressured me. 
He never got upset when we stopped either. I was starting to think some of those rumors were just lies. My Chaz couldn't have been the douchebag player everyone said he was. When October rolled around, I felt even more secure in our relationship. I had thought that maybe it'd just be a summer fling, but when the new school year started, we were still going strong. So, one day, I decided it was time to stop fooling around. Since Halloween was just around the corner, he took me to a haunted hayride and protected me from all the spooky creature actors that would pop up to scare us. We got caramel apples and mingled with some friends that had caught up with us. He held my hand the entire time. Sabrina, my best friend, pulled me aside at one point. So is tonight the night? She wagged her eyebrows comically, causing me to laugh and shove her playfully. My face was beet red. I mean, I don't know. Maybe. Aubrey, this is huge. She squealed, and I quickly shushed her. I mean, did you plan it? Do you think he's got something romantic in mind? I shrugged one shoulder. No, I haven't told him, but I figured being spontaneous is kind of fun, right? Totally. Just be safe, okay? No hanky-panky if he doesn't have any protection. Yes, ma'am. As the night came to a close, Chaz and I extricated ourselves from our friends and began to head to his car. In a bold move, I began kissing him passionately, pressing my body close to his. Hands began to roam, and when I didn't stop him, he withdrew. Both of us breathing hard, I could see his eyes were glazed with desire, searching my face. I gave him a languid smile, one that was full of promise. Are you sure? He asked. I nodded, pressing closer. Okay, I know a spot. Let's go. He drove us out of town and just a couple of miles into the highway. Soon I saw faded farmhouses vaguely illuminated by the moonlight, along with the silhouettes of silos or late grazing animals. Vast fields of corn surrounded us, much taller than us and so dense it seemed almost impenetrable. Kind of spooky, isn't it? I said, shivering from the cold. It is spooky season after all. He draped his jacket over my shoulders and held his hand out. Come on, I'll take care of you. It'll be fun. I took his hand without thinking and he began to guide us through the corn. He used his phone to illuminate the way and I kept close as he parted the stalks. I was completely on edge, every fiber of my body tense. Fear coursed coldly through my bloodstream. Not too far now, he said, squeezing my hand reassuringly. But he seemed to be shivering too, his breath a bit labored. His pace even picked up a bit and I struggled to keep up. You okay? I asked, nearly panting. When he glanced back, I saw he was smiling. His face flushed and his eyes glinting. There was something sort of strange about it, but I just dismissed it as jittery anticipation. Simply amazing, he said. We soon reached a small secluded area that had enough room for us to move around. The corn was still like a fortress around us, but I found a bit of solace not just in the company I had, but also in the vast expanse of stars in the inky night sky. The moon shone only half his face, but it was a beautiful sight. 
Jazz turns his phone light off, bathing us in shadows, but I could still see his smile. A neat row of pearly white teeth bared in a way that had a hint of menace. I took his jacket off and neatly laid it on the ground, if only so I could mask my nervousness. This is nice, I whispered, clearing my throat. Private, too. No need to keep your voice down, babe. No one's going to hear us out here. He approached me, crushing me to him. His kiss wasn't nearly as tender this time. It was frantic and fierce, his teeth pulling on my bottom lip. I tried to match his energy, attributing his sudden change to pent-up sexual frustration. Then his hands were under my shirt, raking up my ribcage and further up. I tangled my fingers through his hair as he kissed along my jaw and neck, sure to leave a mark. Once my shirt was off, I hesitated, pulling back. His heated gaze ran over me and I suddenly felt shy. The cold made goosebumps appear all over my skin. I tried to cover myself with my arms, but he stopped me. You're so beautiful, he said, almost as if in a trance. I never want to stop looking at you this way. All mine, forever. His words made me melt, and I kissed him once more. He lowered me to the ground, my back against his jacket, and I looked up at the stars momentarily as he climbed atop me, still peppering my face with kisses. One of his hands trailed up to my neck, his fingers wrapping lightly around my throat. Arousal warred with a tinge of fear within me, but this was my jazz, and I trusted him. I love you, Aubrey, he whispered against my lips, forever and ever. His fingers tightened some, partially cutting off my breathing. I squirmed uncomfortably, tapping at his arm to try and get him to ease up. I stopped kissing back and tried to move my head to the side, but his fingers tightened even more. He pulled back to look down at me, his eyes wild and glazed over. A trickle of saliva was pulling on the corner of his lips. Quit moving around. Don't you love me? Don't you want to be with me forever too? He growled angrily. You're special to me, Aubrey. That's why I'm trying to make this as easy as possible. Stop moving. His body caged mine in, keeping me in place, and I tried to speak, but I couldn't form the words. I couldn't even gasp. Panic flared throughout my body, and I thrashed, trying to push him off. My vision was swimming, and I clawed at his arm, raking my nails on the skin I'd once tenderly caressed. In my mind, I begged for help. I prayed to whoever might be listening, whatever merciful being might be looking kindly upon me. With every warning beat of my heart, I held out hope that this wouldn't be my end. I mean, where had I gone wrong? Weren't there signs I didn't see? Oh, please, I, I don't want to die. When consciousness was beginning to elude me, the stars blurring into streaks of light, I heard a rustle nearby. Chaz didn't seem to notice this, and for a moment, I thought I might be hallucinating. I mean, I was losing my strength, so my limbs relaxed even as I wanted to keep fighting. The rustling grew louder, and from the corner of my eye, I could see the cornstalks being jostled. Was somebody approaching? Distantly, I felt the need to scream for help. Then, suddenly, a figure appeared behind Chaz a tall girl with long, tattered black hair. Her skin looked gray in the faint light, 
and caked with dirt. Her leg was broken at a strange angle, causing her to limp. Her face was mostly covered by her hair, but I saw a flash of dark, empty eyes. The rustling continued and another figure appeared. Then another. More and more girls stepped out from the shadows, six in total, all in different states of decay. A couple had been brutalized. One had her head caved in, the left side of her skull nothing more than a dark crater full of rot. Another had one eye hanging out of its socket, the iris covered in milky white film. One had her throat slit, the wound like a second smile that bled a black substance. She was the first to take another step forward, wrath and hatred written all over her face. I wondered if she was an angel. Chaz finally seemed to snap out of his trance looking up at our new companions. His eyes zeroed in on that girl that was still marching forward. Ella? He whispered, his voice wavering. No. His eyes nearly bulged out of his head in shock and his hand loosened around my throat. I sucked in air immediately, coughing violently. But he was too afraid to even notice me anymore, rolling off of me and trying to skitter backwards. Serena, oh, oh God, it's not, it's not what you think, Chaz begged. The rest of the girls shambled forward, their faces an equal mask of fury. I tried to drag myself away, but I didn't get very far. I was still too weak. I heaved and retched on the ground. The back of my throat tasted like metal. Aubrey, help, help me. Chaz threw himself towards me, trying to get a hold of my ankle. No, you can't do this. One of them, the girl with the hanging eyeball, leaned down the corners of her lips, twitching up into a smile. When she spoke, her voice was like smoke, so low it almost made the earth tremble. No one can hear you out here. The girls descended upon him like vultures on carrion. With supernatural strength, they began ripping him to shreds. I could hear his flesh tearing even over his screams. I could hear his gurgles as he drowned in his own blood. Then they dragged his body away like a felled hunt to be consumed later. There was an all-consuming silence in which I would only hear my blood pounding in my ears. I kept expecting to be attacked next, perhaps in an act of scorn or jealousy. Instead, when they emerged once more, they helped me up and silently guided me back out to the road. Their grip was on me, cautious, and their gaze is sympathetic. There was something entirely surreal about the whole thing, but I was grateful that my prayers had been answered. Once we were back by Chaz's car, I turned to them. How can I ever repay you? I asked my voice rough and gravelly. The one with the slit throat, Ella, shook her head. He's gone. That's all. Thank you for saving my life, I whispered, giving all of them a grateful smile, tears welling in my eyes. As best as they could, they smiled in return. And when I pointed to his car, they nodded, silently promising to take care of it. I wanted to say more, but one by one, they receded back into the shadows without so much as a second glance back in my direction. While I slowly walked back home, 
sky gradually lightened, burning orange and gold. I was shivering and my teeth were clacking and my neck hurt, but I was alive. I could only wonder what would become of those girls, but I hoped that they would just finally find some peace. Justice had been served, but I would not let anyone forget them. As for me, I should have known that relationship was too good to be true. Losing my virginity in a cornfield was a stupid idea anyway. This happened about 15 years ago. I was 21 years old and living in my very first apartment. It was a small bachelor apartment in a sketchy area. I grew up in a town that was known to be rough and tough. I knew how to handle myself and learned at a young age to keep my head down and not to go looking for trouble. My apartment building was behind a bar. A lot of the customers at the bar would stand outside to smoke. And when they stood outside to smoke, they would be looking at my apartment. Most of the people who were out smoking kept themselves. A few would nod and say hello if I passed by. Never any issues. Until one evening. One evening, I came home from work. I passed the bar and saw this extremely tall man outside smoking. As I passed, he stared at me. I gave him a slight nod, but he didn't acknowledge me. He just continued to stare. It made me uncomfortable, but I didn't think much of it. About an hour later, I hear a knock on my door. It was odd because you have to buzz people into the building. And the building only had eight units, and I didn't really know any of the neighbors. I froze because I really didn't want to talk to anyone. But the knocking continued. I finally shouted out, Who is it? But there was no response. I shouted again, Who's there? And the voice said, It's Tom. I didn't know anyone named Tom, so I shouted back, I don't know anyone named Tom. You must have the wrong apartment. And the voice said, You may not know me, but I know you. Open up so we can talk. I went over to the peephole, and it was the tall dude from the bar. I loudly said, Fuck off or I'm calling the cops. I heard his footsteps walk away and heard the building door open and then close. He was gone, or so I thought. A few minutes later, I peeked out the window and he was standing in the parking lot. He seemed to be talking to himself. And at this point, I'm freaking out. I called my landlord who lived in the building next to me. He told me to call the police and that in the meantime, him and his brother would come check things out. I called the police and told them what's going on and they said a car is on the way. Meanwhile, my landlord and his brother make their way to the parking lot and I watch out my window to see them approach the tall dude. Tall dude takes one look at them and bolts. My landlord and his brother try to chase him, but tall dude got away. About five minutes later, the police arrive. I give my version of the events and also a description of the man. And the officer stares at me and says, we've had reports of a man matching that description who has been sexually assaulting women. Thank God 
you didn't open that door. A few days later, I get a call from the officer. He told me part of their investigation was talking to the owner of the bar. The owner called the police when the tall dude reappeared after a few days and the police responded and arrested him. So, tall, creepy dude from the bar? It was a close call and I sincerely hope I never see you again. A few years ago, I was working at a pizza chain in my hometown as a driver. I was 27, but made darn good money delivering. I had worked at a few other places, both local and chain, in the years before, and still work as a dasher on occasion, even after this happened. Now, I choose to deliver in much safer areas for this reason. I got luckier than I could ever imagine. One night, I was working and had a double, two deliveries to take. Both were cash orders. I had $12 left in my bank, what drivers are given to use as change for cash orders so you don't have a ton of cash on you at all times. The first order went smoothly. The guy gave me $50 for a $35 order, so I was excited about the nice tip. I drove to the second delivery. It was at an apartment complex with multiple buildings. I had delivered there before, The sun was about to set, but it was still very light out. The chain I worked at had us drive company cars with a logo on it, all white sedans. This is important. I grab the order and go to the door to the apartment building. The young guy comes out and a much bigger, older guy was outside smoking a cigarette. The big guy went inside as the smaller guy came out. He looked around nervously and asked me how much he owed me. The way... He was looking around, just made me very nervous. The hairs on the back of my neck stood on end. I told him the amount, and he said that wasn't what he was told on the phone. Something was very wrong. I felt someone else walk out behind me from the door. As the first young guy looked around down the parking lot, craning his neck as if he was looking for someone, I told him the amount again and broke down the order for him, just trying to keep calm. Then the first guy held a gun to my right temple. I also felt a poke on my spine. Two gunmen. I couldn't speak. Words wouldn't form no matter how hard I tried. Give me your money and keys now. The first guy growled and I fumbled immediately for the keys. I gave him my bank, but hadn't realized the 50 was mixed in. I gave him the keys, trying my best to remain calm. Another guy came up from my left. He had poofy hair and was around the same age as the first kid. The one behind me I hadn't seen yet. The big hair kid grabbed the pizza bag and ran off and hid. The first kid searched the company car and luckily I had left my wallet in my personal car. I saw him grab my cell phone. That's when the panic began to set in. I had pictures on that phone that I hadn't backed up of my then five-year-old son. It was my absolute world. Please, please don't take that. I have pictures of my son who who died on there. It's all I have of him. Please. I lied. My son is very much alive. The kid behind me spoke softly. Trust me, just listen to him. You'll get it back undamaged. I don't want to be here either. I could tell he'd been crying by how his voice sounded. 
A car began pulling in and the three boys took off to the other end of the complex in a full sprint. Before the one behind me ran, he dropped the gun in front of me. Standard issue 9mm silver and black, safety off. Looked completely real to me. He picked it back up and ran with the others. The car that pulled in saw me. It was a woman and her kid. Panic set in as I realized they could easily come back and do way worse to me as the sky started to get dark. I collapsed. They had taken my company car, keys, $72, the pizza, and my phone. The woman ran up to me and asked if I was all right. She took me into her apartment in the next building over and locked the door. I was shaking so hard I couldn't even hold her phone to talk to 911 as she sat down her kid. Her boyfriend, I assume, helped me call. I spoke to the operator and told her everything. I'm colorblind and these guys were obviously wearing all black and white clothes, thank God. I had a full description of two of them. The poor woman who helped me was going to be late for work, but she still stayed until I was off the phone and the cops had shown up. Man, she was harsh and blunt with the operator, but I will never forget the woman's utter kindness to me and her boyfriend's. Cops showed up and contacted my store and my manager brought out the spare keys for me to drive the car back to the store. After dealing with the cops, I drove back and was greeted by crying and beyond worried coworkers. All of them were terrified that I was hurt. It meant a lot to me how much they cared, but I told them I was fine. I filed the proper paperwork and the 72 was written off as a loss to the store. Thank God, because I had worked other stores that make you pay back the money out of pocket if you get robbed to prevent drivers from stealing. I was told by the owner to take the rest of the night off and take care of myself. He gave me a hug. He was to this day one of the best bosses I ever had. What I didn't know was I was in for a very long night. I called my best friend before I left the store from the store phone and asked where he was. He usually met up with me for drinks after work. He was around the corner at a bar, so I met up with him. His dad was a District 4 cop in my city at the time, the same district that this happened in. He told me his dad had given him a heads up and he had two shots waiting for me to calm my nerves. After the two shots, we began playing pool when his dad called his phone and asked if I was with him yet. He said, yeah, and handed me the phone. His dad asked if I could come to the station. I was honest and I told him I'd had two shots, so he sent out a squad car to get me since I wasn't that far away. We get to the station and they had the suspects in custody and I was needed to ID them. Three boys and a driver. They had been caught less than 20 minutes after the robbery speeding. The bolo had already gone out and they matched the description. They had used the money to buy weed and gas and had taken off. They had at least 15 stolen cell phones on them. The order had been placed on a stolen phone. My phone was in the mix of the box. The police told me to grab my phone only, and I did. They asked me to unlock it. It had fingerprint verification, so that was easy. Nine of the 10 tries to unlock it had already been used before my phone would have completely reset. It unlocked. I told the police every detail yet again, although my parental instincts kicked in. I told them the guy behind me quite obviously was bullied into this and to show mercy. He was the one with the white shirt. The police went wide-eyed and told me he was the one talking. The other three denied involvement. That's when I found out about the fourth guy, the driver. 
we found out later he was completely unaware of the robbery and was just picking up friends. He was never charged. The boy who was behind me and the one who grabbed the pizza were 15 and 16 and got six months of house arrest. The only reason the one behind me got off easy despite having the gun to my back was because I asked them to go easy on him, that he was a good kid who didn't want to be there, and he was the only one confessing. Makes sense, since he had even said the other guy wouldn't have had the phone for long. He was planning on going to the cops had they not been caught. But the other guy, the first kid who put the gun to my temple, it was his 18th birthday. He got the book thrown at him. In the courtroom, he'd made fun of me and was laughing at me. Seeing him made me panic. The judge scolded him for his behavior and he just grinned and glared at me with the Joker-like grin. All I could see was pure evil. This kid will commit more crimes. I have no doubt he will eventually end someone's life. You can see how cold he is just by looking in his eyes. He's evil incarnate. I grew up in a town full of murders and abusers. I'd never seen this kind of evil in my life. And I never want to see it again. I asked to have my name stricken from the records and asked to remain anonymous in case he ever got out. I'm so glad I did. Because today, I got a letter from the state. He's being released in February. The court only had my old address, my parents' house, and my mom didn't think the letter was important. I missed the deadline to protest his release for probation. The plea deal was eight years. It's only been four. He's getting out early due to overcrowding. Not good behavior. Overcrowding. This come February, and I'm ready if he finds me. My wife, my parents, everyone I knows, knows his face and name. If he tries anything, we're all ready. But for his sake, let's not meet. To the woman and her family who helped me, I was a woman then, I'm trans. If you see this, please know my undying gratitude for you all. It was inconvenient for you, and yet you still were late to work to help me, and I cannot thank you enough. I bought Christmas presents for your daughter, and when I went to the landlord there to find you, you had moved. I didn't want to be a creep and stalk you to your new place, but I'm glad you got out of that bad neighborhood, and I hope your beautiful baby girl is doing well, too. I would gladly meet you again to give you the proper thanks you deserve. From the Domino's Driver in Southwest Ohio. This happened five years ago, and I'm only posting now because I want to warn others. This is quite difficult to talk about for reasons that will become clear. In 2017, I went to a friend's birthday party. It was their 40th, so it was a pretty big deal. I had recently lost my job and I was struggling with my mental health, but I had a very supportive husband and a good family life. It was a private party. What could go wrong? My husband was supposed to go with me, but our childcare arrangements fell through at the last moment and I didn't want to go without my husband, but he felt I needed a night out with my friends and the birthday girl kept asking if I was coming, so I went. It was a private party and everyone there had been invited by the birthday girl. There was half a dozen people I knew really well and 
everyone else was a stranger, but I assumed that the birthday girl had good judgment and everyone present was okay. We were all having a great time laughing and dancing. At one point, I stepped outside to cool down and smoke a cigarette. A fellow partygoer, Mill, joined me. We talked about the birthday girl, how we knew her, and we talked about football. It turned out we were from the same city and supported the same team. We returned to the party and he asked me if I wanted a drink. I said no and raised my glass to show him that I already had one. I then put my drink down and went to dance with the birthday girl. When I returned from the dance floor, I took a big gulp of my drink and after that, it all gets a little hazy. The rest of the story is pieced together from various sources and photos. There is a photo of the male party guest, MPG, and me with the venue's door staff. I'm smiling at the camera with my arm around the security man and the MPG next to me is kissing my cheek. I don't remember this. There is also a photo of me and MPG. I am leaning against him with my eyes closed. I don't remember this. I woke up the next morning at home on the sofa. My husband was initially furious about the state I came home in, but he didn't know how bad it could have been. Apparently, several friends saw MPG trying to guide me into a waiting car and stopped him. When they challenged him, he said I had agreed to leave with him, but I was incoherent at this point. I have no recollection of this, by the way. A female friend, N, took me home. I don't remember this either, but I know my friends saved me from something horrible. Once my husband knew what had happened, he was very supportive and concerned. N told my husband how quickly my behavior had changed and how quickly I had become uncoordinated and incoherent. This all took place five years ago. I saw Birthday Girl recently and she told me that MPG is currently in prison for assaulting his girlfriend in 2020. Please remember, always be careful with your drink. Never leave it unattended. Watch out for your friends and make sure they are watching out for you. It finally started raining here, so I took my son, 14 months, out mushroom hunting over the weekend. It was much later than we normally go, and the sun goes down much earlier, but we were taking a quick trail to the river and back in hopes to finding turkey tails or chanterelles. We took a wrong turn and ended up going through a big field, which the trail would take us back around the main trail to the river. As we walked toward the main trail, the last group of people had left and it was just me and my son. We walked along and out of the thicket side trail came this weird man. He had a dog with him that was alert at his side. He was staring at us as we walked closer towards him. Then he started waving at us, this really weird slow wave. I was immediately uncomfortable and goosebumpy, but didn't want to be 
impolite, so I half-hearted waved back while staring back and telling my son to slow up a little. I didn't want to actually meet up at the junction. After a full minute of us dawdling, the guy slowly turned and began walking down the trail toward the main trail. I was wary walking. Didn't want to go too fast, and we stopped to look at some plants so the guy and the dog got further down the trail, which curved to the right and continued on two blocks to the junction. I was thinking, if this was creepy, let's not me. This dude will be waiting around the corner. And sure enough, he was standing at the junction, off to the left and toward the parking lot. And to the right was a point six trail to the river. Dude was just standing there with his dog staring at us, not moving at all. Both my son and I were like, holy shit, what the fuck? Let's keep wide to the right and saying he looks old. We could run faster than him and just generally planning for freaky deaky just in case. He kept staring at us as we approached and asked if he was okay. And he just kept staring back. He was greasy haired, tiny round glasses, a blue windbreaker, plaid long shorts, about 50 years old. His dog was a small beagle mix. He didn't answer me at all, just kept staring. We turned to the right and walked about a block. I had my phone cam facing me so I could watch him over my shoulder. And the only movement was him slowly shifting his direction to continue staring at us. I didn't say anything else to him. It was moderately unsettling, his stare. It just made more so by his lack of response, emotionless face, weird tiny glasses, slow wave at us like a zombie motherfucker. He did leave because on our way back, he was no longer standing on the main trail. So hey, freaky deaky forest zombie dude, for sure, stay in the thickets and let's not meet. I was extremely depressed and in a very dark place at the time. So when my friend invited me to go with him to the Davy Crockett National Forest to camp, I was more than happy to oblige. We decided we would camp at the Radcliffe Lake campgrounds for two nights, and then the third night we would stay at a free camping spot somewhere off the miles of park road scattered throughout the forest. So the first couple of days went by amazingly. I loved the smell of pines especially in East Texas, and the campsite was beautiful, not to mention the lake. We did some kayaking and hiking, and the views really helped my mindset. It was awesome. However, on the third morning, my friend got an emergency call and had to bail at the last second. I was slightly upset, but it didn't necessarily mean I had to go home just because he did, so... I decided to stick to the original plan and find a place to camp deep within the forest. After he left, I headed to the nearest forest information center and snagged a map. The map showed the nearby highways in the forest. I scouted a couple of park roads and made my way towards them. After maybe five miles out of town, I find a park road, which is indicated by a numbered sign and is only a dirt road. I head down it and settle in for the adventure. The road wasn't very narrow, but it would have been a hassle to move two trucks around each other, which I didn't really encounter. 
I kept the map on my lap and followed the road with my fingers while also checking the road ahead for potholes. The woods got super dense around me and darker and it all just kind of enveloped my truck. I don't know how many miles I traveled before I first came to another turnoff, but it was clear that I was super fucking deep in the woods. I traveled to where a group of campsites was supposed to be, which was a small loop. I turned down and to my surprise was met with a couple of trucks and RVs, all occupants outside cleaning guns or dressing deer. Please don't come at me, I've never been hunting. It was hunting season, so I guess it wasn't that big of a surprise, but it was still very off-putting with the looks I was receiving. So I made the loop and continued on. I drove a couple more miles and found another very remote spot at the very corner of the woods. I pulled over and set up the tent in a fire and brought out the whiskey. I don't have a great night, and I was burning some letters, so I got a little bit more messed up than I would have cared to be. I ate some food, put on the fire, and headed into the tent to play the switch and wind down. It didn't take me too long to fall asleep, and I slept hard. I woke up around maybe 1 a.m. to the sound of footsteps circling my campsite. I'm a pretty avid camper, so I just assumed it was a critter checking out the human who decided to chill in his pad without asking. I started to drift off again when I heard a low cough, instantly awake. I just kind of laid there, listening, and the footsteps approached my truck. I had locked my truck but heard the obvious sign of someone trying the handle, then quietly shuffle over to the other side and try the other handle. I had a spotlight that I brought with me, so I quietly unzipped the tent and pointed my light in the direction of the noise and shouted out. I caught a brief glimpse of whoever it was in all camo. Everything sprint off into the woods with no light. Like, They took off, and although I had no plans on following them, I scanned the brush with my light and couldn't see anything. I turned off my light to see if I could see a phone light or flashlight, but instead, I heard very loud crashing into the brush that just got quieter and further away. So whoever this person was ran into the dark woods with no lights and all camo. Considering the map, the direction he ran also didn't have any more roads nor amenities. So maybe he was on private property? I I don't know, but I was very scared. I just collapsed my tent, fuck, putting it in the bag, shoved it in the backseat, and drove the park roads like a bat out of hell. Once I got back to the main road, I drove four hours back to my hometown. I mean, I want to go back sometime, but with friends and maybe a gun. Yeah, that was not a fun experience and definitely up there is one of the most frightening things that has ever happened to me in the woods. I drove through a town that didn't exist. Several years ago, I was driving to my parents' house for the Christmas holidays. Normally, I would have left the day early. We live in different states, but I had to work overtime, so I got a late start. Since I needed to be there the next day, I decided to search for a shortcut. Searching my phone, I found one that I was not familiar with, but decided to take my chances anyway. 
According to my GPS though, the exit for the road I would be traveling on was about two miles away. After driving for about 10 minutes, I found myself exiting onto Route 50, which according to my GPS would take me the rest of the way to my parents' house. An hour had passed and I noticed there was not one single car on the road except for me. The road was located in a very rural area of the state, so I figured that was the reason for the absence of cars. Even the road itself was bumpy and full of potholes, so people probably avoided it for these reasons too. Anyway, the road was surrounded by forest on both sides and I noticed there were no light posts either, making it very dark. As I continued to drive while listening to Christmas songs on the radio, I began to feel sleepy, nearly crashing my car into a ditch, jolting me wide awake. Using my phone as a light source, I got out of my car to assess the damage and noticed a sign that read Pottsville, one mile. Finding no visible damage to my car and the sign, I decided to continue driving. I noticed though that I was beginning to feel hungry and remembering the sign for Pottsville, I decided I would have a bite there since I had to drive through the town anyway. Upon entering Pottsville, it appeared normal enough, but the further I drove in the town, the more I began to notice something was off. The buildings themselves appeared to be void of color, like something straight out of an old black and white movie. But even stranger though, were the people. The people who I swear were walking backwards like somebody rewinding a movie. On top of that, they were flickering in and out, reminding me of a computer glitch. These people seemed to be oblivious to me as I continued staring at them, nearly running a red light in the process. I instantly hit my brakes, causing my car to come to a screeching halt. Things got even weirder. As soon as I hit my brakes, everybody turned their heads towards me, all the while flickering as they stood there staring at me. Red light or not, that was my cue to get the hell out of this town. As I sped off, I looked into my rearview window and saw that the people were still standing there unmoving as they watched me leaving town. When I passed the leaving Pottsville sign, there were several police officers and they were flickering too, waiting for me as they barricaded the road. Not wanting to wait around, I quickly drove through the barricade, not looking back once. It was around three in the morning when I finally made it to my parents' house, luckily unscathed with no damage to my car either. The following year, I decided to take the same route, despite my ordeal, and to my surprise, there was no town, no sign of people, nothing almost like the town, like nothing existed. To add to the mystery, the road that led into town was actually now a dead end. I don't care if anybody believes me or not because I know what I experienced was real. Anyway, here's a warning to you. If you're ever driving down Route 50 and happen to stumble across the town of Pottsville, avoid it at all cost or you might not be able to escape so easily like me. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Blame It on the Aliens. Like I said, I am back from the grave, baby. I was out last week and hopefully with this week being Thanksgiving, I know a lot of podcasts are taking the week off. 
definitely more power to them. I took last week off, which was unnecessary, but maybe the fact that I'm publishing today will make up for it and you can have one podcast to listen to over Thanksgiving and catch up on your spooky content. So I am now on Instagram and the username is Blame It On The Aliens Podcast. So DM me. I genuinely want to hear from you. Like what subreddits are your favorite? What stories that I've read are your favorites? Do you have any creepy stories to share? You can also email me at blameitonthealiens1 at gmail.com and either write your story out or send me a voice message. There's also a voice message link in the description of the show notes. So I would love to have you guys on the show. I need to hear more feedback from you guys and love you all for supporting me. If you have not already rated me five stars or four stars or whatever you're going to rate me on the listening platform you're currently listening on, please do. It does make a huge difference and especially the comments. I see you who left the comments and the ratings and I could not be more thankful in the spirit of Thanksgiving. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And yeah, I'll be back next week with more spooky content. Thank you.